welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Yay! We are together in this episode talking about many things, but I must warn you, if you were thinking, gee, I wonder if they're going to talk about the lawsuit that was filed against Jane by Laura's Cave, no. Many reasons why, but no, we don't talk about it at all. However, we do talk about subscription services, Kindle Unlimited, Scribd, and a few of the other options. We actually agree on a book, and we both liked it. I find this quite alarming. I hope you are as shocked as I am because, well, this is very rare and it hardly ever happens. Of course, we disagree about why we like it, but still, we like the same book. And we also talk about what Jane is reading, which is a long list of really interestingly titled books. Very strange. As usual, I will have links to all of the books we discuss in the podcast entry, so please don't feel like you need to write things down while you're driving or on the treadmill or driving on your treadmill, which I still haven't figured out how you do, but if you're doing it, go ahead. That's great. This podcast is brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of Reaper's Stand, the latest bad boy biker romance in Joanna Wilde's edgy, sizzling Reaper's Motorcycle Club series, available wherever books are sold. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater, as is all of our music. I will have information at the end of the episode as to who this is and where you can buy it, and of course I will also link to all of that information in the podcast entry. There will be a transcript of this episode, carefully crafted by transcriptionist Garlic Knitter, and that usually shows up between 48 and 72 hours after the podcast is posted. And now, on with the podcast. Do you know about this program, Kindle Unlimited All-Stars? Yeah, it's it's based on the number of borrows you get within Kindle Unlimited, right? And, and sales. Right. So the top 100 authors um, get a bounty, I guess, or bonus. And then the top 100 books get a bonus. So you could get two bonuses conceivably. Um, <clears throat> the ones that are getting the bonuses, of course, are those that are uh, authors who are the kind of upper echelon of Kindle. Of and course. they have the special deals with Kindle so that they're part of Kindle Unlimited, but they don't have to be exclusive to Kindle Unlimited. Mm-hmm. So not only are they getting the special deal, but they're also getting the bonuses. Of course they are. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure Amazon is saying to these authors, not not privately, I don't know what they're saying to the, these authors privately, but the public statement, I think, is, see... Um, big name indie authors, you want to join because here you can get a $25,000 bonus if you are in the top 10. And I do think that the Harlequin signing with script kind of changes the um, deal for authors, at least for because it because for me as a reader, I wasn't finding a ton of titles in Kindle Unlimited that I wanted, mm-hmm. but there's actually quite a few um, indie authors who would Put their books on Scribd through Smashwords, mm-hmm. and so I would be able to read it there. Um, and now with fifteen thousand backlist titles from Harlequin, that's huge. I think, I think that really changes the game a lot. And and you know you can also buy books through Scribd. So Scribd is building this a quietly bookstore. I think that could be a competitor in a real way to Amazon in the future. The funny thing is, you know how when you have a brand that makes a first impression that's negative, it's really hard to shake that. Yes. All I knew about Scribd was you got ass loads of pirated books and I know it's a pain in the ass to get them down off your service. So wait, you want me to take you seriously when so many other people complained to me about you on a semi-daily basis? And this was like a year or so ago, but they had a real problem with people saying, here's a book, you can have it. And it's, you know, somebody's book from Penguin that they have uploaded onto Scribd. I know um, 
that's still a problem right now. Like if you search, for example, Lynn Graham, oh God, uh, and there is a lot of legitimate content now, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of illegitimate content. But you know what? I think it's smart to put your legitimate content on there because the illegitimate content's not very good. Like mm-hmm. it's um, hard. To, it, there's no formatting, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, if you were a reader and you had to choose between a nicely formatted legitimate copy, and remember, it's free, right? Because right, you subscribed. Well, I guess it's not free. It's nine, eight ninety nine a month or nine ninety nine a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever, you'd, you'd probably choose the legitimate one. I mean, that's what shows up first. And, that makes sense. And then now authors are going to get paid for that. It makes sense. But for, you know, like for me as a consumer, completely separating all of the other stuff, I, my, my initial reaction to Scribd is still, okay. See, but that, that, mine as a consumer isn't that way. I mean, I guess I'm just more, I, I don't know. It, it's, Are you less, trying to say you're better than me? Is that no. where you're going here? <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I'm just trying to say that why would we agree on this when we agree on nothing? I know we agree on nothing at all. Nothing, nothing at all. It's amazing, actually. <laughs> I, I understand, like conceptually, I understand the problem and the animosity or animus any author would have against Scrib for failing to protect, you know, and, and um, take down the copyrighted works. And I don't know what they're doing. I, like I wrote in my, um, I, I did a post about subscription services before I even knew about this Harlequin thing. I only knew about the Harlequin thing yesterday. Yeah, ditto. So, um, so I, I don't know, it was a four weeks ago or five weeks ago. Um, it was actually after, right after Kindle Unlimited came out because I tried Kindle Unlimited and I tried Script and I tried Oyster and I don't recommend Oyster. Oyster is the app for is the subscription for <laughs> service for the literati crowd who own iPhones. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The Oyster app for Android is the worst app ever. I mean, I don't even know why they put it up because it's unusable, okay. I feel like. That's hilarious. It's for the hipsters that have iPhones. Who want to read literary books. Okay, that's hysterical. <laughs> I have nothing against the literati crowd. I have lots of problems with the Oyster app. <laughs> <That's what laughs> my animus is toward the, toward the Oyster app. Oh my God. I have to tell you about so After I wrote that subscription service thing, I got an email from another subscription service and they're like, we're launching this new subscription service. I'd love to tell you about it. And I'm like, I want to hear about it. And they um, sent me some details and I'm like, well, how much does it cost? And they're like, well, one book a month is like, Five ninety nine and two books a month is like nine ninety nine and I was like I'm not <laughs> we're we're breaking up now please don't email me again <laughs> yeah are they insane but the, I think that again this is for the literati crowd or something I don't know right because what you pay for the book indicates its quality always I guess. right right so I I did say that I like the script app and it there's a lot of backlist. Uh, titles like I read um, the Christina Lauren books. Have you read her them? Mm-mm, no, they're very sex heavy. But if you can get back to past the first one, the first one is I thought I talked about on this on a podcast about this before. No, I don't think so. Okay, so the first book, Beautiful Bastard, was their office fan fiction. Uh, uh, fan <laughs> of the Office. Now I haven't. I've seen some episodes of the Office. But I'm not like a, 
you know, an avid follower. I barely know the characters. I mean, and I don't even know who these people are supposed to be. You know, in fan fiction, usually they take a particular character from a television show or movie and, and then transform them or they have a... I, so I don't even know who these people are based on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a book about hate fucking. You know, two people who don't like each other that are irresistibly attracted to each other and so they hate fuck and then they go away and then they hate fuck and they go away and then they fall in love and then it's all over right so it was entertaining but i'm like i can only take one of these books right because it's not like a i just couldn't read a steady diet of them so i didn't go back to the beautiful series because i just thought that was all that it was and then katie um on my blog wrote a review of sweet uh, filthy boy. I hate that title, by the Sweet way. Sweet filthy boy. Correct. Gah. And I hate that title. But she talked about it in such a way that it was really intriguing. And so I was signing up for script. And I'm like, oh, there's a Christina Lauren book here. Well, maybe I'll give it a try. <laughs> so I read um, Beautiful Stranger, and then I read Beautiful Player, and then after I oh I read Sweet. Um, Filthy Boy, because I actually had a paper arc in it. And I started re- paging through it because I was like kind of cleaning out my art closet. And it really is a sweet book. I mean, I kind of see the title, even though I hate it, um, because Ansel, the hero, is very sweet. And mm-hmm. um, it was a totally different romance from Beautiful ba- Bastard. It was really about um, two young people who, who fell in love uh, or kind of fell in lust, I suppose, over. Uh, a kind of a rowdy night in Las Vegas, they mm-hmm. get married. And while she's drunk, the heroine writes a letter to herself saying, don't, um, when you, when you sober up, don't annul the marriage, give it a chance, blah, 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 blah. So he presents this to her the next day and, and he convinces her to come to Paris with him. He's an attorney and he lives in Paris to come to Paris with her him because she has a summer before she starts grad school. And he says, give it a try and then see what happens. And so when they go back to Paris, he's very busy. He's working very hard on a very on a particular case. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of like a stranger in a strange land. Um, she's exploring Paris. She's unsure about her relationship because, you know, it's one thing to have this wild night. And that's another thing to have um, many nights and days together. And I thought that that kind of what happens after the one night stand was a really fascinating book. And Ansel is a very sweet hero. So, um, in the script application, I was able to read beautiful stranger and beautiful player. And again, those books are so different than the first book. And they really contain this kind of sweet heroes who are like the caretaker alpha that we like so much. They are very heavy on the sex content. It's mm-hmm. actually well done. Each of them have kind of their own little kinks. So like Beautiful Stranger is about exhibitionism and voyeurism. Beautiful Stranger is not, or Beautiful Player is not so much. This is more like a friends to lovers kind of Eliza Doolittle sort of story, which I enjoyed. And then um, the sweet uh, Filthy Boy is about um, um, role playing. They play a lot of games together, which is cute. And, and a way to make the love scenes a lot more interesting. And then mm-hmm. the book that's just that's coming out in November um, is Dirty Rowdy Boy. Huh? And yeah, I know I don't like these titles or the covers. 
Um, but I can see why these authors are really successful and I can see them having a long, t- long-term career if they continue to write these sort of books. They're kind of like, um, the characters are super nice. So I kind of l- would compare the characterization to maybe like a Jill Shalvis, but they're very, like I said, sex heavy. So, um, but the, so the, the dirt, the dirty rowdy boy um, features these, these titles are killing me you know <laughs> i know because i can't i have a hard time remembering them features finn who is a fisherman from god is it alaska i can't remember and he comes down and he's in uh la for a particular reason i don't know if i should give it away so i won't okay. even though um yeah because you you don't she, harlow the heroine doesn't know and that kind of presents it's a big a spoiler it's not really but it is i mean it's not like oh my god when you read it you know it's not like a gone girl spoiler <laughs> or a sixth sense and um he's into like the japanese t- rope tying and i thought it actually worked because i re- have read other books with that and it seemed really forced i don't know i really like their voice um, and I, I don't think I would have tried so many books had they not been in the scripts. You know, it was a low, uh, no-risk proposition there. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of half-tempted by the subscription services. I don't think they work for me because the the, the things that I'm in the mood for vary so wild, widely lately that I want to, to, to go find things that are very strange and, and far outside what I normally read. The subscription services that I've peeked into... Like Kindle Unlimited did not work for me at all. And I was in it. I'm a, I'm a Kindle Unlimited author. And I was being interviewed for an author podcast last week. And the guy was like, I want to ask you about being in Kindle Unlimited. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I am in there. I had no idea. Okay, well, that, you can see how much it's had an impact on my life. Uh, I, I, the, the subscription service, just having to, to, to wade through all the books, that just seems so exhausting to me. But I have very low patience right now. That's mostly my fault, I think. So what are you reading right now that you recommend? Well, I just finished Corporant's, um, God, I don't even remember the name of it because, you know, let me look it up on my Kindle. <laughs> do, 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 do. I am reading The Bollywood Affair. Oh, I love that book. You did? What are you thinking? Oh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, oh, I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, I suppose this means that we should just close both of our websites at this point and never speak again because we've agreed about a book. I agree. <laughs> okay, we just no longer be friends. Um, it's it's so sweet. And every time I think it's going to do something cliched, it doesn't. I have Because I love when a, when a writer can do that. They sort of demonstrate the familiarity with all of the expected cliches of romance and then sort of halfway introduce them and then do something different. Hmm. I see. I thought it was really cliched, but the, <laughs> but they were cliches that I liked and they were very much in the, um, wrapped inside the interesting world that was unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we're going to like the same book and disagree about why we like it. That's normal. Right, right. But I thought, I mean, because I felt like it was a classic Harlequin Presents story. Here you have the misunderstood do-gooder who's viewed as the gold digger mm-hmm. and the and the brother sent, the wealthy brother is sent to 
um, lure her away. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that seemed like a standard Harlequin's present storyline to me, but I like that. So, I loved how the one thing that makes me roll my eyes is how when he's with her is the only time that he can write. She's his magic writer's block angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the fact that the both of them grew up in India and both of them are in the States for a temporary amount of time, the way in which all the little tiny pieces of their cultural upbringing influence their behavior is fascinating. Like instead of um, the heroine being a virgin because she is, and everyone at work knows, and they ask her about it in the elevator almost daily. And she, she dwells on it all the time. The heroine is a virgin because that's a cultural expectation. She's, she's married. She has been since she was four, but she's never met her husband. So, of course, it's understandable that she has never had any sexual relationships with anyone else. It makes total sense, and it's not ridiculous. It's not stretched into scenes where people are like, so, how's your hymen? Still got it? Which happens alarmingly when people are virgins and they dwell on it in a contemporary romance. I also loved all the cooking. You can't read this book while you're hungry. Yes, the cooking was wonderful, and it made me want to... um eat a lot of that food oh we have really good indian food and it's 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 one of the more expensive takeout options and it's been a problem how much i've been craving indian food at this point the other thing that i really like about it is how even when they even when the characters do something really doofy it's completely understandable based on who and who they are and where they've come from and the hero can be a real dick bag his initial scenes with his uh, with his mistress or girlfriend or fuck buddy or whatever she was. Oh, he was he, even though he did the heroic thing, he was a callous dickbag. Classic Harlequin presents <laughs> the 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 alpha hole. He's a total alpha hole. Yes, you are so right. I hope this book does really well when it comes out, though. I I, I worry because it's expensive. It's a nine dollar ebook and a $12 paperback because it's in trade. But, oh, is it just, there's so much to enjoy in it. It is expensive, and I'm I'm concerned about the cover. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like it either has the opportunity, you, you know, the cover will appeal to a broad audience, and it can really take off because it's such a wonderful story, mm-hmm. or it won't take off. It'll be doomed because it'll miss the audience altogether. I yes. don't know. and people will look at the cover and say, oh, well, that's not for me. Right. So oh, no. I hope it does really well. I love the story and I oh, can't I wait to too. read more from her. Um, I think the cover is gorgeous. I even kept the yes. card she gave me of it, but I completely see what you're saying there. Totally. The funny thing is I've had two different people, uh, one person on Twitter and then another person over email say, you talked about a book that had some hands and there was henna and I can't find it. I hope you haven't forgotten. I'm like, I totally know what that book is. I can tell you the title and the author because that's how well I know it, which never happens. I never remember either of those things. I just remember the picture. So it's making an impact on some readers that they come back and want me to want me to help them find it again. But you know, the problem is, I don't know, there was actually a, a um, and I don't remember where it was, what website it was, but it talked about how um, these India books are really uh, limited to only two types of covers, the henna hand or the jewel in the forehead. Mm-hmm. The and those are the, then those are the only two covers that 
any Indian author ever gets ever. <laughs> so the henna in the hands oh, might mean something to us. Yes, but, but if to- you go to like a bookstore, they'll be like, uh, we got like 20 henna hand books. <laughs> <laughs> At least for the romance audience, it is a new style of cover. It is unique. Yes. That's that's a good thing because if this book is aiming for the romance crowd, it's a beautifully unique, very lush cover, especially if, if we can spread the word about how very, very awesome and familiar the tropes are, but completely new at the same time. I'm just so enjoying this book. I can't even tell you. I think it was Abby Green who wrote, and I want to say it was in an overarching series about sisters mm-hmm. and Caitlin Crew wrote one it was a Harlequin prison series anyway the heroine was either she was Indian or she was marrying an Indian I don't remember but one of the um, traditions and it one of the things I loved about the Bollywood affair is that it showed how different and how vastly vast India is there are so many different regions and they all have their own cultural yes. identities. And, and languages. That really, and that was really cool. Yes. But in this in this one book with Abby Green, one of the traditions is that the sisters and mothers come and henna the body of the bride on the night before the wedding. Mm-hmm. And then the they write the husband's name in um, her body somewhere. And he has to find that. Whoa. They can consummate the relationship, and I thought that is such a beautiful tradition. Very erotic. It's very, very erotic. Very loving too. You know that he has to go everywhere on her body to find his name, and it's written on. You know, and it's just. I thought that was really um, a wonderful thing, and one of the reasons I love to read about books in other cultures, like Australia or um, even England or uh, India is that you get an insight into all these really beautiful cultures and traditions that you might not be exposed to before. And I just hope that we get more of that in the future. It just enriches uh, your life experience. And it also, it also reveals the, the humanity and the emotion behind different cultures that seem that this can on, on the surface seem very difficult to understand. It's just it the eroticism and the intimacy of that type of a scene is that's something I think that most that anyone could understand. It's not difficult to understand that. Well, and also I think it shows how much how how love is a very universal language. I mean, I felt like the story that we read in by Sonali Dev um, was a story in some ways that could be written by anybody, but only by her as well. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The underlying romance between the two of them was very familiar to me even though the wrappings were unfamiliar yep I, I i hope it does really well any other books you want to mention ma'am yeah i read um cora brent's risk and that is the second in her their brothers mm-hmm. gentry boys there's three brothers this is the second you can read the first one on script that's where i found it <laughs> But I bought the second one. It's 99 cents. So it's not like it's going to break your bank. Um, And I have really come to like her. She has, um, one of the things I'll say is that her characters um, don't sound very different. Like the female character in Risk doesn't really sound that much different from the female character in Draw. But that's okay for me because I really like that voice. 
I, I'm, I was trying to explain to another reader kind of who she reminded me of in a little bit. She reminds me of Lisa Claypass. Really? How Just so? her, her voice. She has a certain southernism to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, there's a certain, and some people might uh, view it as uh, contrived, but I think that her uh, similes and kind of the stories that she tells are very charming. And there's just a little bit of Lisa Claypass, I think, I see in her. Um, and I, I like her books. I think this risk is about a woman, a young woman. Uh, she lives in Arizona. She, um, she grew up in a um, trailer with her mom and her three sisters. There was no father influence. And she succumbed to um, many uh, male uh, attention because you know, she had missed that in her life and she thought that that would fill some kind of gap in her. She um, slept with her mom's boyfriend. She uh, lived as a kept woman for a little while um, by a wealthy man who was married. And so this is not the perfect, you know, virginal heroine. And I Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So when you meet her though, she's kind of like trying to stay away from boys, but Creed Gentry is just too irresistible for her. Um, and Creed has his own problems. He also came from a very poor family. His father beat him. Um, and uh, he feels like he is like uh, one fight away from uh, dying. You know, the, the, these are troubled youths. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, so th- this isn't like one of those stories where everybody's rich and perfect. She's a waitress. He um, uh, earns money by illegally fighting and working security at the local Arizona State University football games. So it's there's no billionaires, there's no virgins, and it's just about two kind of troubled souls that find each other and realize that uh, together they make a better team than when they are apart. Hmm. Hmm. I have warm fuzzies now. <laughs> Is this a series? Are there more? There, she's written a motor three books in like a motorcycle club series, and I haven't read that. I started reading one of them, and then I got distracted. Um, but this book, Risk, just came out, and it's the second of the three series, mm-hmm. of three books about the three Gentry brothers. So they're going to show up in other, those characters will show up again, and there's more in that world. Yeah, I mean, you, in... In Risk, you definitely see um, Cord and Sailor, who are the couple from the first book, because they're triplets. Cord and Creed and Chase are all triplets. Cord and Chase and Creed. Well, their names are... Those are are, some romance hero names right there. um, His name is actually Credence, and his (laughs) name, uh, and his brother's name is Chasen. And I can't remember what Cord's real name is. There's an explanation. His name is Corduroy. There's a, actually an explanation for it um, that about his mo- the mother and why they she named them that way. I don't remember what it is now. The other book and I ha- I read it a while ago, but it came out on Monday. Is the understatement of the year by Serena Bowen? Oh and yes, I, everyone in Twitter was talking about this book. This is the money back guarantee from Jane book. No, no, no. That was the um, the year we hid away about oh. the about the hockey player, the female hockey player who was paralyzed. This one is about the 
um, hockey player, the college hockey player that came out was kicked off his uh, hockey team and then comes to this other college to play hockey where he runs into his first love who is so far in the closet. Remember I said he was in Narnia. He was hanging out in Narnia and and, yeah. and John said that would be a, <laughs> a great name for a gay club. Right. Or they would call it the wardrobe. Right. right. <laughs> so um, I really love that book. I think it's $3.99. It's worth the $3.99. I can't afford to give the money back guarantee anymore because I have to save that money for my lawsuit, but... <laughs> I do recommend buying it. It's a it's a great story full of um full of like unrealized passion. Not even unrealized passion, but banked passion cuz uh you know, particularly the one guy, he really wants um the gay boy but is trying to deny his gayness. <laughs> well, so many people have talked about how incredibly good this book is. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Jane. I did, because it's been a while since I spoke to her. I also hope you weren't deeply disappointed by our complete lack of talking about the lawsuit that's going on. But if you were thinking, you know, I could totally do with some excellent and incisive legal commentary, I totally recorded a podcast with Courtney Milan, who specializes in incisive legal commentary and also verbal ass-kicking. So I'm going to edit that and probably have that ready next week and the week after. It may be so big I have to divide it into two. But I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you are too. Before I go or begin doing all the things that I do at the end of the podcast, like tell you what the music is and tell you about how you can contact us and tell you about our awesome sponsor, I have an email that I really wanted to share with you because it's really awesome and it totally made my day and I hope it makes your day too. This email is from a reader named Catherine and Catherine writes, Dear Sarah and Jane, I have been lurking in romance book sites since the dawn of news groups. Every week I compose a response to your podcast in my head and never sit down to send it. But your interview with John Jacobson was wonderful and has compelled me to speak at last. A young gay man embraces and talks about romance openly and with such passion. I've been reading romance for 35 years. What am I waiting for? I have so much to say. So in the spirit of Sarah Borellis, I'll be brave and let the words fall out. My name is Catherine, and I have always been a reader. Library trips were family time. As a kid, if I showed up at the register with a book, it was purchased for me, a tradition I continue today. I will read anything. Richard Scarry's Huckle and Lowly Worm, anything with a horse on the cover, and Nancy Drew covered the first dozen years. In the 1970s, choices for young girls were not as varied as today. The summer of 1980, our family moved yet again, and everything I owned was packed to go. The only book in our temporary apartment was Mom's copy of Ashes in the Wind by Kathleen Woodward. At just 14, this was my first romance novel, and I still own it. Followed very closely by Shanna and I suspect a Joanna Lindsay as I was hooked for life. My teen and college years were filled with every classic bodice ripper available, and I still own most of those too. I even had an oh-so-cool red calico book cover with handles to carry and read undercover. I'm pretty sure I read Jude Devereaux's Twin of Fire and Twin of Ice simultaneously. Tom Clancy thrillers were in my comfort zone at that age, Bertrice Small, not so much. My attitudes towards sex, love, and marriage were different from my parents and my friends. Wait until you are married, was the refrain. And I knew in my soul from 16 that when I met my one, I would not wait until the wedding night. So few heroines did, and they were doing just fine. I have loving and warm parents, but they were a little brief in the discussion of love, marriage, and couplehood. My sex education consisted of sex is great with the right person from dad, and I don't want anything terrible to happen to you from mom. It was the God's honest truth when I informed them nothing terrible had happened. 
My future husband and I had visited the college health center and figured out birth control together. I learned about flirting, courtship, love, sex, and marriage from all my books. I loathed anything Danielle Steele. But in Celeste DeBlay's Wild Swan series, I saw the evolution of three generations of family and wept when it ended. I married a science fiction reader at 22. My husband and two girls learned to live on grilled cheese and chicken soup as I read through dinner preparation. Whitney, my love, original version, was an all-night read after I bargained with my husband, staying up with an earache-written three-year-old versus a Saturday morning trip to the doctor. I knew that I could rock and read all night. An afternoon at the bookstore was still a regular weekend errand, though I would binge at the library every so often. I still have a thing about owning books. Harlequin cereals were not on the shopping list. They were too short for the money that could now buy children's books. Leon and the Spitting Image brings back fond memories of reading aloud, and soon I was reading the girls' teen books as well. Their choices are so much better than mine at 13. Rom-com, fantasy, thriller, and adventure. Everything Meg Cabot sits on our shelves in hardback right next to every Laverle Spencer and vintage Beverly Cleary. My all-time favorites are the historicals, though. A smart girl in a great dress, charming a man. What is not to love? But as a young bride and mother, I returned a book for the first time, A Robin Shone. When I think back, it had more to do with the writing style than the content, but she was the start of a new era in romance, and as I matured, so naturally did my comfort level with sex and contemporary and fantasy novel. Though I do think that J.C. Burton's not only purple, but double chicken was a little bit much, things that were scandalously written in the late 70s and early 80s seem to be the norm today. Teens explore sex and sexual orientation in a great way. Between my girls, four exchange students, several BFFs, I have had seven teenage girls live with me full-time. Along with them came the boys, cute, attentive, stupid, overeager, smart, and get off my porch. Proudly, I'm the mom who will talk about birth control and sex with both the boys and the girls. My daughters, now 23 and 20, went off to college with much more information than I did. Last night, my daughter sent me a picture from her study abroad welcome packet, a package of condoms and directions on how to use the applicator her complaint was there was no applicator for the tampons my response if you have to use the applicator for the condom because you don't want to touch the chicken get out of bed <laughs> oh my god sorry thank you <laughs> anyway <clears throat> reading teen adult now new adult books gave me a base to have these kinds of conversations and not be uncomfortable myself or embarrassing to my kids. My new favorite teen read is Beauty Queens by Libba Bray. This book has a little bit of the crazy sauce, but explores many types of girls with insight and accuracy. The exceptional audio version really lets you hear their individual voices. Scholastic, I'm sure, has changed since I was in sixth grade, and for the better, there's always nostalgia for the innocence of decades past, but as the world changes, the reading options have too. Although I live in Northern Virginia in one of the most affluent counties in the country, it is a 40-minute drive to the nearest Barnes & Noble. I miss the afternoons wandering through stacks on the hunt for a new author, and I was saved by technology and Amazon gift cards. Decades of reading, knitting, and carpool left me with severe carpal tunnel in both elbows and wrists. Kindle was invented just at a time when I could no longer hold a book of 300 pages for hours. In addition to the hundreds of books alphabetized by author on my Kindle, there are currently 56 in my sample folder, 12 in the new folder, and 22 in the to-buy folder. The, rat, the last one was ripped by Sarah Morgan. 
I've watched my options narrow on my Amazon page, so randomly selecting books to view is a fun way to screw with my algorithm. Fortunately, I have the desire, money, and precious of all time to read whenever I want. I've played croquet with the Bridgertons. I have sailed with pirates. I've gone camping with the Kowalskis. I attended Hogwarts. I've stolen art, fended off vampires, started companies, feuded in a kilt, raced NASCAR, coached a team, cast a spell, promenaded in Hyde Park, and could teach a seminar about vintage undergarments, and I have loved every minute. Smart Bitches Trashy Books has drawn me in, and at 49, I have found my people. One of my favorite moments is listening for Jane's deep breath as she girds her loins for yet another awesome quiz. When Nicki Minaj's new song is on the radio, all I can think of is Manaconda. My image of that chicken was changed forever when I clicked the photo link in the Orca romance review. I wasn't quite scarred for life, but close. I long for a purple prose a la vintage all about romance contest from your contributors. Taylor Swift is indeed my picture of cultish, bad grammar, spelling and continuity errors, and killing off the heroine are my pet peeves, but I love a good cat burglar. Bet Me is a great book. Jennifer Cruzy can do no wrong. My travel companion in, in case of world electrical failure is The Eight by Catherine Neville, and I wish for the next trend to be Victorians. Listening to the two of you discuss thoughtfully, banter and argue has educated me in the world of publishing, both print and digital, and I was blissfully ignorant of the trials of authors and editors. Who knew authors retired? I thought they just had died when nothing new came along. So many new authors have been added to my go-to list now that I have heard their stories as they talk with you. You both approach books with such a love of obvious, obvious love of reading. 40 minutes flies by. Keep talking. I am still listening. Okay, this letter totally made my day and gave me all of the warm fuzzies. I, I love how I think she responded to every single episode that we've done yet. Hey, Kathy, how you doing? And I love the idea that romance novels and the way in which they deal with sexuality helped her be a better parent. I was joking with somebody recently that being on Tumblr every now and again, I am hoping will make me better able to, to communicate with my children when they're teenagers because so many of the people that I interact with, I later learn are teens. And I understand their perspective now that they talk about what bothers them and they use images to illustrate how they're feeling in ways that they can't quite communicate verbally or in writing even. It never occurred to me that romances would help with the teaching of sexuality as a parent, which is something that I think most people struggle with in a lot of ways, but it makes total sense. Um, I, I don't understand the, comp, the condom applicator thing, though. I mean, I, there's a number of ways I've read that done, usually with your hand, maybe toes if you're particularly dexterous, teeth sometimes, ears, I, applicator, that I don't get. But either way, thank you so much for this letter. It was a real pleasure to hear from you, Catherine, and I hope you're reading something awesome. And I have one more email. This one is a short one. This is from Kimberly, and she says, listening to a recent podcast, you talked about Overdrive. I love, love, love Overdrive. Oh, Kimberly, me too. I have a tip for my fellow listeners. I live in a small town. My library has Overdrive, but the selection is super limited. I mentioned it to a friend, and she told me that a neighboring town has a really great Overdrive selection. Because it's a college town, you just have to be a resident of the state, not the county. So I took a trip over there one Saturday and got a library card. And after that, I did a search of all of the county library systems in my state. Many of them have a county resident restrictions, but some do not. 
Some allow you to apply over the internet and some only require that you be a resident of the state. I am now the proud owner of four library cards. That means I have access to four OverDrive libraries. So if your library selection is limited, find out what the requirements are for other libraries in your state. You may be able to get more access to more libraries than just your own local one. That's awesome. I know for where I live in northern New Jersey, the Bergen County Cooperative is the overdrive connection that I use. And I'm not in Bergen County, but the many libraries in the many, many towns, most of northern New Jersey, closer to New York City, is like a bunch of small towns all squished up together. So they all work together in this library system. I think, though, as Kim Kimberly says, in spaces or in states where there's not as many squished up towns all right next to each other and, you know, a couple million people, Libraries with only state residency requirements or public universities with only state residency requirements for a library card are a great option. That's awesome. Oh, oh, this is great. So I'm sure you're wondering if you're listening, how do I find out about the public libraries in my state? Well, there's a number of things. Obviously, I just Googled New Jersey public libraries and came up with an umpty zillion list because there's a lot of people in a lot of towns and a lot of options in New Jersey. But if you look online for the county libraries in a particular state, you should come up with a much more manageable list of libraries to examine. Then you just go to their websites and see what their library card requirements are. Easy pie. And if there are any librarians listening to, and they're like, this is a bad idea and you should not tell me about people about this, please let me know. I don't want to piss anybody off. Um, I would like people to use the library because using the library means the library is healthy and happy. And no, there's anything I like. It's a healthy, happy library. And that is all for this week's podcast. Next week, me, Courtney Milan, much discussion. I might have to make it two episodes. I'm going to try to make it one, but it may end up being two. I'm sure that no one has a problem with that, right? Right, of course. This podcast was brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of Reaper's Stand, the latest bad boy biker romance in Joanna Wilde's edgy, sizzling Reaper's Motorcycle Club series. Reaper's Stand is available wherever books are sold. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to our feed. You can find us online at iTunes, Podcast Pickle, and Stitcher. And you can email us if you have ideas or comments. Our email address is sbjpodcast, S for Sarah, B for bitches, J for Jane, podcast at gmail.com. And you can leave us a message at our Google Voice number, which is 1201-371-DBSA. Please don't forget to give us a name and where you're calling from so we can include your message in an upcoming podcast. The music that you are listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and you can find her at Sassy Outwater on Twitter. This song is from the group Three Mile Stone, and this track is called Snug in a Blanket. The temperatures have dropped recently where I live, so yeah, I want to be snug in a blanket pretty much all the time. You can find out more about Three Mile Stone at their website, and I will have links in the podcast entry about the music and where you can buy it, as well as all of the books that we mentioned, including the one that we agreed on, which is still kind of shocking to me, but hey. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Jane and I both wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. 